Hello and welcome to the Shiny Bees podcast, a podcast for those who like their knitting, comedy and yarn in equally large measures. I'm your host Joe Milmine and this is episode 112, Knit, Share, Love with Claire Devine. Hello, hello. Welcome into another episode of the show. How are you? How are you doing today? I hope you're well. I hope you've been getting in plenty of knitting since the last time I spoke to you and you're enjoying this weather. We have some great weather in the UK at the moment. In the north, it hasn't rained for about a week, which is pretty much unheard of and um, it's very good because I'm, I'm a bit of a reptile. I do like the sunshine, so I'm very happy that the sun is out for me at the moment. So this week I am welcoming back a friend of the show to you from way back when, probably 2015, I think, maybe last time we heard from her properly, um, which is Claire, Claire Devine, and um, formerly of the Sock Surgery, and she's now in Australia and has been travelling around a lot and I managed to nail her down. It was last um, September actually, <laughs> quite a while ago, um, to have a chat with her about what she's up to these days because Claire was one of the people that was requested to come back on as a guest. Uh, put out in the Facebook group a kind of a poll and I'm like, who would you like to hear from? Who would you like to hear from again in terms of guests? Because I'm quite open to bringing on guests that you, that you want to hear from and people you think, oh, I wonder what they're like. Um, because that's how I find guests. That's that's how I decide to speak to is I look at, at their work and I look at what, what they do and I think, oh, I bet they're really interesting. I want to have a chat with them. Um, and that that's generally my approach to finding guests. So um, as I said, Kate was one of the, not Kate, Claire even, was one of the people that was requested to come on again and people wanted to hear from again so obviously I want you to be happy so I went and had a chat with her and any excuse to have a chat with the divine to be honest with you she's a lovely lovely lady and always always a good excuse to catch up um with her so I'm not going to take any more time in the intro I'm not going to do any notices I'm just going to crack straight into this interview so hope you'll enjoy it Wonderful. So I am super, super excited to welcome one of our dear, dear friends of the show um, and a fantastic designer. You know her well if you've been listening to the show for a while. And since she was last with us, she's been on a lot of travels and done loads of exciting stuff. So Claire Divine, the wonderful Claire Divine, previously of Yarn and Pointy Sticks, as she was last time she was here, now of Knit Share Love. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hello, I'm good. Wow, is it that long ago that I was yarn and pointy sticks when I was last on? Yes, hello. Yeah, it was. I was in Scotland, um, and you were. What I don't know if you were in Scotland or in the southeast. Maybe you were in the southeast by then, but it was a long time. No, I think I was still in Scotland. We Mm. were in Edinburgh, because wow, a lot has happened between then and now. Exactly, (laughs) many miles have been travelled. Yeah, well, it's good to be back. And excited. I'm so excited because it's just like, I knew it had been a while. Like, I'm like, it's been a while since we heard from Claire. Like, she would be great to get back on the show. And everyone was like, we want to hear from Claire again. Um, but I didn't actually realise how long and how many miles we've both travelled since then. So give us a quick pricey from, from last time you were on, on the show and we were sock surgery and all that kind of good stuff in Scotland. What's happened with you since then? Wow. Oh. 
Um, so in a nutshell, um, so we left Scotland, uh, unfortunately, through not really um, a, a sort of a specific choice of our own. My husband um, was working on a project and that unfortunately came to an end. So we went off down south um, and we lived in Maidenhead for about a year. Um, but we knew when we went to Maidenhead that we were going to come and try and give Australia a whirl. So I, I'd been to Australia before. Um, my husband's mum is Australian, so that's my sort of ticket in the door. And um, yeah, so we, that was the plan. But we lived in Maidenhead um, for, goodness, I'm trying to remember, for just under a year. And then I left the UK on the 31st of December um, 2015, would it have been? Yeah. I spent three months in South Africa at my in-laws, which was um they're wonderful, but three months is a long time at your in-laws. Um, but it was good fun. And then we moved from South Africa, that was sort of a temporary stop, on to Melbourne. And we lived in Melbourne, um, sort of outside of Melbourne in the suburbs, down by the by the sea. And then we moved up to the hills, um, unbeknownst to us, one of the coldest places in Australia. <laughs> so don't laugh. And um, we stayed there for three months. And then two months ago, we came to Brisbane, not one of the coldest places in Australia, um, much warmer, much more suited to me and my love of the sun. So that's sort of my travel journey. Um, in a nutshell, I also now instead of having a, a small child, who um, was still in a cot when we were in Edinburgh, because I remember that she just learned to climb out of her cot just before we left Edinburgh. Um, she now has a school uniform and is going to school in January. So lots has changed. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Yes, these babies have got big because our, have, our children they? are about a, mo a month, not two weeks, three weeks apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, very close together. Yeah. Very close together. Yeah, because I remember actually um, Maeve was meant to come after Sanimal and yeah. came before. It was very rude. Very rude of you. Yeah. <laughs> nothing to do with me I've never been early for anything in my life um she's a trailblazer there yes she was she was early wasn't she yep yeah yeah so yeah so a lot has changed well wow, that was a little trip down memory lane I know um, it's when you have to think really hard about it as well it's like oh yeah I remember that happening and it wasn't even that long ago like in numbers 2015 but it feels like forever I know I think if you if you moved a lot though I think sort of time moves quickly but slowly in a in a weird way um, yeah, yeah, but it's good. So now I'm in Brisbane where there's no need for any hand knit socks whatsoever. It's flip flops, uh, every day. Mm -hmm. Um, though I should probably say songs else they might kick me out soon, you know, being a foreigner and all that. Um, but yeah, it's good, but I'm still knitting every day, even when it's really hot. So never fear. There'll always be socks. That's good. Aircon is your friend when you're a hand knitter in a hot climate. Yeah, aircon is your friend when you live in Brisbane, regardless of whether you want to be a handler or not. But definitely, aircon is required. Um, even even in Melbourne, I was knitting a sample just before Edinburgh Yarn Festival last year, and um, I had this huge sample to finish in about ten days because obviously everything has to be done at the last minute. Because what what would forward planning do? You know, mm -hmm. um, there was a heat wave the week that I had to finish that shawl. <laughs> And it was really good woolly wool, perfect for Edinburgh. And it was like 38 degrees or something. And I just remember sitting under the 
air conditioning unit thinking this is something really wrong with this setup. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so, um, the tales of knitters in warm climates, hey? Yeah, definitely. Um, because that's the interesting thing, actually, because you've kind of brought me on to a nice question there. Because Brisbane was actually the start, if my memory serves, and I think it does, the start of your kind of journey back into, well, was it back into knitting or was it the very first part of your knitting journey where you knitted a hat from some wool that you got uh, from a shop in Mel, in, not in Melbourne, in Brisbane? No, so sort of um, the actual, it, it was sort of a start in knitting. Though my, gran, my grandma was a great knitter. She used to send us, bless her soul, these... Um, amazingly intricate Aran jumpers in really good solid British Yorkshire wool um to South Africa and they weren't really that practical and we sort of put them in cupboards and I just remember mothballs and these ridiculously warm jumpers so knitting wasn't really a feature of my childhood in, in terms of practicing the craft but um that knitting story actually is in Western Australia and it's um yarn from a shop in a place called Denmark, which is on the southwest coast, which also happens to be cold, wet, and windy, which <laughs> does dovetail well with the recent travel story. People, your listeners will sense a theme here of our life. So we were in cold, wet, and windy Denmark, um, moaning about it being cold, wet, and windy. And we looked at the weather forecast on the news, and we saw the sun shining in a place called Broome, which is in the northwest um, of Australia uh, where five degrees because they don't have winter they have a wet and dry season up there so we went to live in Broome so I started knitting in Broome in the winter of 2009 um, in 35 degree temperatures but it was winter so you know um, and then I continued to knit when we lived in Brisbane through the summer of 2010 the beginning of 2010 um, that's when I knitted a, a shawl out of Malabrigo lace. I can um, I can confirm that Malabrigo lace and um, high temperatures and humidity without air conditioning is not a good combination. And I'd strongly recommend that you choose something else because it felt. But um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. Wow. I knew it was a bee. I knew it was a bee. It's early for me. Yeah. A bee. I could have sworn yeah, it was Brisbane. It was hot. It was hot. And, and I did. I did. I did live in Brisbane. For I lived in Brisbane probably. I did more knitting in Brisbane than I did in Broome because we moved from Broome pretty much to Brisbane. Well, we did a tour of Australia, um, which isn't a small feat, but we lived in Broome and then we lived and worked in Brisbane. That's so you still sort of got it right, you know. It's on. just a small place, Australia. And you, we know East how much west. You, it is, yeah. And we know how much you like to stay in one place for long periods of time, you know, just long exactly. enough for me to memorise your address. So... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I can tell you that filling in my addresses for my Australian visa was an interesting process that involved um, extensive searching of Google libraries, Royal Mail, my mother's diary. Thank goodness she keeps a proper diary because you have to tell them like everywhere you've ever lived and everywhere you've travelled in like the last 20 years. I used quite a lot of pieces of paper for that. Yeah. I know what you mean, because um, obviously we had not quite not quite as good as you, but we, we also moved a lot. And I found that Amazon, if you just go through Amazon, um, other retailers are available, of course. But if you go through that, that, that is where all of the previous addresses are. If you save your addresses there, then you, like, you've got all the details kind of to hand when you have to do the 18 pages of additional addresses. Yes. For everything. Yes. 
And it's good for tracking dates as well because you're like, oh, I've got a CD on that day, though. Who buys CDs anymore these days? I'm giving away my age now. But, um, yeah. Um, yeah, addresses. It's a bit nuts. But, yeah, so knitting is good in the hot weather. It's all good. Awesome. So taking it back to the knitting, because we've, I mean, obviously we want to know about you because we're very attached to you on the show, Claire, and, we all, and, and, and me, obviously. Um, but um, t- we'll go back and take it back to the knitting um, in terms of, of what we're going to be chatting about. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, as much as we can, we can go off. It's not a problem to go off. You know, we, we like to be a little bit cash at times on the show. Um, so we, we started your knitting journey in Broome. I remember the, the beautiful pictures, actually, of you. Um, there's one that you've got on the beach with really orangey yes. sand that I absolutely loved. Mm, yeah. Um, and it all started there and, and has, has moved around the world with you. And last time we spoke to you was probably not that long after sock anatomy i don't think in fact i think you just brought out the kiddie versions of no no the adult versions the adult, sorry the adult versions the, adult. the kiddie one was the first one the little ones and then you redid the yeah. book a second edition with adult versions in there as well i did loads wow. changes then <laughs> you're blowing my mind i know um, how dare you not come back on the show for this amount of time claire seriously so knitting-wise, you know, besides my crazy life of moving, um, knitting-wise, so, well, I, I've i got a lot more patterns than just sock anatomy now. I think mm-hmm. I'm up to 112 or something. Yeah, yeah. I it's remember pretty you pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and I'm still doing socks. So um, I still love socks. And I think you mentioned to me that you've had Knitting Goddess on the show. Yes. Am I, did you just say that? I did say yes. Yes. So I do a sock club with I do a sock club with Joy now. Um, again, still very focused on uh, sort of constructions. So if anyone remembers sock anatomy, my sort of love affair with heels and toes and different heels and toes and how to adjust socks to fit. That love affair continues. You know, some things change, but some things stay the same. Mm-hmm. So I did a yarn club with um, Joy called Blue Skies. And then this year we've done one um, on looking at circles and she just does the most amazing yarns and um, and she gets me. So this year all the yarns were a color wheel, but um, using gray to sort of change the hue. I'm not really a color person. That's why I love gray. I think it's the hue or the shade. Hmm. I'm sure someone out there knows better than me, but. I thought it was amazing that she was like, I know you love grey. I love colour. You love grey. We can make this work. So that worked um, really well this year. And I'm working with her again next year. Um, so next year, I can probably tell you some of it is still under wraps. But I'm developing a new idea for those people who dislike knitting second socks. You see, I don't have this problem because... People always ask me how I sort of avoid second sock syndrome. And I always have to joke that, you know, if I started publishing patterns with just a picture of one sock, I don't know how well I'd do. <laughs> so um, I have, you know, added incentive to make sure that there were two of them. Um, but I don't really mind a second sock, but I know that the, the struggle is real. So um, I am doing a sort of a set called twins. So not identical twins, but fraternal twins with the idea that each sock design will have two elements to it so you can either knit like a sock a and a sock b or you can knit two sock a's and two sock b's or, or whatever combination you choose if you just like prefer the one design if you want them matching but the idea is to um have 
two socks that work together but that are different. So you get two different knitting experiences but one sock instead of ending up with lots of single socks because, um, you know, I hear that single socks aren't that useful for most people who have two feet. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there's that. What else have I done knitting-wise? Um, I did a cardigan, which was a very interesting experience. Tell us about that. There's a lot more knitting in a cardigan than there is in a sock, PSA. You know, just in case you were wondering. Um, But it was good. I had good fun. I set out to knit my perfect cardigan because I thought that if it's going to be my first cardigan, it has to be something that I would love. Um, So I wanted something cozy and comfy and um, sort of quite unfussy good with jeans because I sort of live in jeans and um with some garter stitch because I I have a real soft spot for garter stitch and that was fantastic um grading a cardigan is a mind-bending experience um that may or may not have reduced me to tears at points but um I have to say thank goodness for amazing technical editors and thank goodness for amazing test knitters who were very patient. So it went well. And there will be more cardigans on the horizon. Um, I'm waiting for a small child to go to school. Because apparently when they go to school, all of your days have more hours in them. I don't know how true this is. But um, I keep telling myself it will be better in February. And uh, what else? Yeah, and then some other bits and pieces. There's been quite a lot um, of stuff going on. I've got a couple of interesting projects coming up. Um, or sort of ongoing, if you if you're interested in those. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, my my partner in crime, Jess, who is um, you know, she's a really good friend of mine, but um, she's sort of the first indie dyer I really worked with, and we work really well together. Jess and I have two projects. One of them is the Tea Collection Club. So the um, Tea Collection. Um, came out wow you're really testing my dates here I don't know like 18 months ago two years ago and that was a series of tea hats um that just grew organically really and people people really loved them I was quite amazed by how much people really loved them super grateful for the support but sometimes these things take you by surprise Mm -hmm. so um we did a um a sort of a twist on a yarn club with um tea hats so we've had one quarter go out already the autumn quarter and um, we've got the winter quarter that goes out on the first of December but then we'll have another two quarters so spring and summer and every quarter there are three hats and Jess has done three beautiful colorways for them so that's been really good fun um, and I can give you more information you can link that if people are interested yeah. and then the other projects I've got with Jess is the neighborhood sheep society Yay! which everybody loves the neighborhood sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been meeting all the neighborhood sheep in Australia. Well, not all the neighborhood sheep in Australia. That's probably not an accurate statement, but a few of them. I've been trying to meet a few of the neighborhood sheep um, recently in Australia. But we've got 2018 for the neighborhood sheep, and um, that will actually be the last neighborhood sheep for a little while. We're having a little break from that. Mm-hmm. So um, that's open for signups at the moment, if anyone's interested. little plug there. It's um same as before. So three small batch yarns. Jess has dyed some of the yarns. Some of the yarns uh, may be undyed to complement the dyed yarns. And really just exploring different kinds of 
sheep breeds. So not your average blue-faced Leicester or Merino, not that there's anything wrong with them, but I think sometimes it's nice to look at the uh, lesser well-known or lesser well-used, yes, lesser used breeds. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been good fun. And that, that starts in January. So that will run January, March and May. Yeah. So I think that's the main stuff I've got going on. And then a million and one ideas um, swirling around in my brain that I try to find time to knit on. But I haven't invented that knitting time warp machine yet. So um, sometimes I run out of time, but it's all good. Yeah. Awesome. So busy then. Definitely. Yes, busy, busy, busy. I like to be busy though. You do. I like to be busy. Busy is good. And I'm very grateful that I can't be busy doing this. You know, it's um, sometimes it's it's like it's a job. So sometimes you have to do things that you don't really want to do. But I have to say, you know, at 16, I flipped burgers at a at a chain of burger places, as you do when you're 16. And this is a much better job than um, flipping burgers. I have way more fun even when I'm doing things I don't want to. So I'm every day I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. It's it's all good. It is. And it's exciting because I, I remember your first ever pattern, like your first, when you first came to the UK and you, it was the toasty, was it toasty talus? <laughs> yeah, those little stripy rainbow leg warmers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they were amazing. And I remember thinking, oh, she's so clever. Like she's done this pattern and everything. And how how, how has she managed to do that with like a small child? Um, so I had two of them at the time as well. Um, and I remember it being hard work. And, and from your first pattern coming out, I remember it, it coming out to like now where you're, all proper and you've got books and teaching and everything it's just so exciting and you've worked really hard for it it's not been something that's just kind of fallen into your lap because you're lucky like you've done the work and I know that from on a personal level you've done the work and so you you know I know you're grateful and we're grateful for you and but you have you know you've put the effort in you deserve it yeah oh no it's good thanks yeah it has um yeah it's good though I'm I like I could never have imagined this you know just from a sort of um a business um sort of career perspective I actually had the most hilarious conversation with someone the other day where um I'm really interested in getting to know sort of local Aussie producers and because much as I love my British yarns and I and you know I come back to the UK as often as I can um I sometimes get knitters say to me here quite rightly, oh, well, I want to knit your pattern, but like, I'm not going to buy yarn from the UK, which I understand because there's plenty of beautiful yarn here. So I'm talking to some um, uh, independent sort of producers here about things I might do for next winter because now as a knitter, I now I, my life is perfect really because I live in the sunshine, so I never feel cold, which is really important to me. And I get winter here to plan for knitting and winter in the UK to plan for knitting. So I have summer all year, like practical living experience and winter all year business experience. It's, it's pretty good. Anyway, I was talking to this woman and um, she was really nice. I had this really long conversation with her. And then right at the end of the conversation, she said, so where did you train? And I just went, um, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a knitwear designer. And she was like, yes, you know, where did you do your training? And I was like, um, I, um, I, I didn't. <laughs> and she just, it just went, the phone just went silent. And I think it's really interesting in the hand knitting sort of ravelry world is there are so many people who don't have this sort of formal training in fashion or textiles. There are plenty of people that do. 
Um, but there are plenty of people that don't have a formal training um, and have just developed the skills through their own interests and work um, and who maybe didn't expect to, to land up here like me, um, but they have. And because of Ravelry and because of the nature of the internet and, and knitting today, we've been able to build these businesses, which is from a business perspective, it fascinates me. And I, I sort of, I said to her, no, but I, I'm really competent, you know, and I, I do know and I work really hard and I've practiced and there were lots of other people out there like me, you know, I was like, there's Hohi, she was a doctor and, you know, half of Tin Can Knits, she was an architect. I think she thought I was a bit mad, but um, <laughs> it's, you know, and um, uh, who else is has a really interesting background? Willie Wormhead has a really interesting background um, and Carol Feller was a, oh, I might be wrong, an architect or uh, some kind of engineer. She's an engineer of some description. She was before her knitting her knitting life. So, um, yeah, and um, I sort of got sidetracked there. But I think it's interesting, and I would never have thought that I would be having this conversation about this being my business, but I love it, and it's good. So, um, yeah. Yeah, definitely, because I almost know when, when people say, I know this sounds bonkers, but when someone says, oh, and I trained at Central St. Martins, and I'm like, wow, you actually went to that college for knitting? Because there are so many people, who, like you said, they've they've come at it from a, not from, I suppose the way our education system works is you have to have the qualifications, and then you go get the job, and then you relearn the, the job on the job, because three yeah. years at uni wasn't enough, so you have to start at the bottom again on no money and relearn all of the stuff anyway, and actually you've come at it from a practical point of view almost like an apprenticeship type thing where you've developed those skills but not in a traditional education setting where someone's putting that into your head necessarily it's been a lot more yeah. of an organic education experience yeah and I suppose you know everything as well always sort of leads to things so I think about all the things I learned like I did do a, a, a fine art I did a photography degree so I did have sort of I did go to art school um, though to be honest doing an art degree really is a three years of the school of life and that's about it because um there wasn't that much hard work that went into being in a fine art college it was great fun but um I know that people who studied accounting probably worked much harder than um, I did for three years but um even the things that I learned in random jobs through other parts of my career um have all filtered into this and I think it's been good for me in terms of running a business because running a small business is not just about knitting or not just about textiles or knowing you know being creative running a small business is about 20 percent of being creative and 80 percent of doing all sorts of other different things that you need to do to keep a small business going as you will know because I know that you do so much um sort of business support or coaching or sort of helping people make the most of their their businesses so there's certainly um lots of things to draw on from the journey here and life is a journey isn't it you know it's my it's my it's my phrase it is a constant <laughs> journey for you as well it's like, it ah. is a constant journey though <laughs> but I think that's you know I I really love that sort of fluidity my my phrase is always um nothing in life is permanent Mm-hmm. when people say so are you here permanently and I'm like nothing in life is permanent except for your children you can't really get rid of them I don't believe it's socially acceptable even when they cut your knitting which <gasps> my child did just tonight no as I was gaining some yarn <gasps> for me to knit on this podcast she came in from school 
and was trying to talk to me and admittedly I was being one of those bad mum moments where I was like yeah yeah mm -hmm, right great I'm actually quite busy right now so she picked up some scissors because she is four and she'd had a long day and she needed to communicate with me and put the scissors around the skein that was on the back of the chair that I was winding and closed the scissors. Well, she got your attention. I mean, I've got to give her, I've got to give her props for that. You know? <laughs> was like, well, she was like, I needed to get your attention. I was like, that was a effective way of doing it, um, but maybe not the best choice. Fortunately, while everyone, like, everyone can stop holding their breath, only three strands of the skein were cut. Oh, God. Wow. So the Being child the survived. I haven't tried to get rid of her yet. Um, you know, it's all good. I'm not really going to get rid of her. I should just say that, you know. Maybe you should edit that bit out before social services come to my house. So yeah, so social like, services work are not they're not gonna come. Although we we did worry about this for a long time that social services will come to one or both of our houses. <laughs> for no real reason. We weren't neglecting the children. It's just Yeah. It's all it's all good. Oh bless her. Yeah, bless her. I was um looking back I was impressed at the moment I was um Fortunately, her dad intervened, removed scissors and yarn, and everyone calmed down. And yes, small children, scissors and knitting, it's dangerous, dangerous combination. Oh, luckily, some, some's a bit rubbish with the scissors. It's not that coordinated, so I think I'm safe for now. <laughs> but I will remember that because that is a good thing to look out for. They must all do it at some point. I believe they do. So I will yeah. look out for that. Yes, I've had some friends who've had their knitting cut in half on the blocking mats. Mm. anyway we'll stop talking about this because you know and I, I, i'm feeling a little bit anxious yeah okay. i'm like i feel like i can't breathe now i'm like <gasps> anyway so we'll take it back to something a little bit less like yeah. i feel like i need to breathe in a lot um we, yeah well um you were talking about um local producers that was what kind of got us into this yeah. this kind of this story yeah. um and it'd be really fascinating for us all to hear about the knitting scene in Australia and what you know what you've experienced so far as, as part of that now um so it's I think with these things it's always sort of a little bit of a slow um sort of journey of discovery and because I came back to Edinburgh and because I'm still very connected with the UK scene um I still sort of feel very much part of the UK scene mm -hmm. um but down here there's lots of really interesting bits and pieces going on so I've been lucky enough to teach at a couple of shops and there's a couple of really interesting places opening up in terms of access to yarns and um, people sort of accessing overseas yarns but then there's some amazingly talented indie dyers one of my favorite indie dyers is um circus tonic handmade mm -hmm. she's just she's a genius she's so she's got a background in genetics she's got a phd in, she's got a phd in genetics and was phd in genetics doing something she has explained it to me but it's way too highbrow science for me um but now she has three young children, so she is at home and making a business out of dyeing the most amazing yarn in only a way a scientist can, you know, because I I know that sort of yarn dyeing can fall on sort of one of two sides. There's either that super creative process where you can never really repeat anything or there's the really systematic way that a scientist works. So. Um, she's a, a really interesting character and there's some other ones but my big love is local farms so mm -hmm. 
Um, there's a, an amazing farm at, outside of Melbourne, about two hours west of Melbourne. I was just having to look at the compass in my mind then. <laughs> and um, called uh, Tandy. And Tandy is a really interesting story for me because, so if we just roll back to my knitting story in Broome, mm -hmm. when I was living in Broome, I realized that actually there wasn't really much call for me to knit myself anything to wear because it was really hot and really sticky. So I found this pattern to knit a bag that was made out of little garter stitch squares that were then all sewn together and felted. Mm -hmm. random but true so I decided that I needed chocolate brown and duck egg blue because sometimes I make decisions like this and I needed I wanted really good nice wool wool that could be felted um not super wash stuff so I went on a little search and I found this really random farm um somewhere in Melbourne and I wrote to this lovely lady called Wendy Wendy Dennis and said I'm looking for a duck egg blue and a chocolate brown and she was like I think I have just the thing and I was like fantastic so off she sent it to me um roll on however many years that was like seven years I um came across someone who'd moved from uh Australia to the UK um called Jules Woolenflower mm-hmm She's now based in Scotland, and she told me how she used to go to this amazing farm, and I should definitely visit. It's called Tardy. And I was like, oh, wow, okay, small world. So then I came to Melbourne, and I was um, working in a yarn shop one day a week in Melbourne, and um, it, I wasn't very good at working in the yarn shop. I um, just spent a lot of time looking at the yarn, thinking of things that I might knit and things I might design with it, mm -hmm. which I don't believe is one of the main things a retail manager's looking for in their staff. So, um, <laughs> but I tried and I was enthusiastic. But anyway, it led on to other different interesting things. So there's a lady there called Karen. I'm getting somewhere with this story. <laughs> and um, she then phoned me up and said, would I like to teach at this new event um, it's a two-day weekend at this amazing farm called, you guessed it, Tandy. And I just thought, you know, what a random, random, small little world the world actually is. So um, I've been and taught there, and I've been there and taught twice now. And um, they're fantastic. They have Polworth sheep, and they have been farming that land for a really, really long time. And they have just the most amazingly beautiful yarn. So their yarn is spun in New Zealand. A lot of local Aussie yarn goes to New Zealand to be spun. But they have teamed up with another place called Great Ocean Road Woolen Mill, mm -hmm. which is a lovely couple, a Aussie guy and a German woman who have this tiny little boutique mill on the Great Ocean Road. It's a beautiful part of the world. And they are making really lovely local yarns down there so they had um a project where they took alpaca from the local area and polworth from the farm and they spun this super bulky yarn called the henry so it's kind of a is it called a barber pole you know where the two colors are twisted together i'm sure it's called a barber pole yarn yeah. um so that's fantastic and so enthusiastic you know i think things are tricky here because the industry, um, any, from what I know, and I'm certainly not an expert, any wool industry here is on such a large scale that the local yarns that you see indeed dyers using in the UK that are being spun by the likes of John Arbin and down at um, Natural Fibre Company um, down in Cornwall, that they're not, there's not that many places here spinning at that volume. 
So you don't see the same sorts of variety. Um, it's very merino heavy here. Um, but there's a lot of really interesting things going on. And then the other day I went to meet um, a Gotland farmer. I'll have to send you links to all these things so you can pop them in the show notes. This woman's amazing. I love meeting farmers because farmers like this lady because they're just so enthusiastic and knowledgeable so her name is Cheryl she was a nurse you see everyone's allowed to change profession she's now a Gotland sheep farmer in Victoria and she has the only flock of Gotland sheep um, in Australia and she breeds them for diversity not for sort of conformity so most producers will breed for conformity so that everything looks the same um, and they have a standard product but she's um She's an interesting character, and she has decided not to do that. So while her yarns don't fit the sort of standard um, model of, of what people would expect from a Gotland, um, she has all these sort of different shades of Gotlands, because I didn't realize they're not all that sort of steely gray. They come in all sorts of different shades if you don't breed them into a pattern. And um, the fiber is quite different because obviously the weather down here is really different to what it is in the UK in terms of from what I've seen, the black of Gotland and also the um, Gotland out of Sweden. It's, it's, it's got a really different handle. So that's really interesting. I'm going to do something with her next, next winter. And um, yeah, there's some really interesting folk, you know, um, and some good stuff happening. I think, I often say that when I was in the UK, I often looked at the States and thought, oh, they have all these single origin small batch yarns, you know, these farms that are spinning their own little boutique yarns or having boutique yarns spun. It's so interesting over there. And then that really sort of started to surge in the UK. I, I've seen like it happen more and more and lots of indie dyers have their own blends. And I think that they're right at the beginning of that here in Australia. I think even in the last year, I just see more and more things popping up and people are beginning really enthusiastic about it. And I, and I think it's one of those sort of snowball things. The more people produce, the more will be produced, the more interest there'll be, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure there's a really specific economics term for that, but that's my lay person's way of explaining it. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Because you don't, I mean, like, like you said, we, we kind of spoil it. <laughs> hey? I talk too much. I'm like, dabba, 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 dabba. no, you hey. don't. It's, I love. I was. I was into the story. I was like, oh, cool. I'm not thinking about it. You have a lovely storytelling. Must be. Must be the South African in you. You have a great storytelling <laughs> ability. Um, but it is really interesting because I mean we are a little bit spoiled here. Certainly in the last few years, and this was a conversation that that Joy and I had. Um, in that you know when you mentioned Joy in that episode about all of the kind of interest and the widening of the market and what's available beyond that BFL and beyond that Merino and all of the interesting stuff that's happening. And so we, you kind of like, especially with exchange rates and things like that, or if you are particularly focused towards using local stuff rather than things with lots of air miles, again, a conversation we had in that episode, um, you tend not to kind of look as much abroad and you certainly even though you know australia is a huge fiber producing uh, country you don't necessarily think i'm going to import something from australia because it is just so far um yeah. and likewise the states you know like these days like if i went there on holiday i'd get some but i wouldn't buy any american yarn in the shop here and i wouldn't necessarily order it from there unless it was something something different or someone i particularly liked yeah. so it's really interesting for us to hear about that 
what what is different about Australia and all all the things you've got going on there um for interest and in, you know in case we find ourselves there really I'm hoping I do absolutely see. <laughs> I, I must say that I think though and I, I and I sort of feel that I saw this happen in the UK is I think that consumers need to be um sort of prepared in a way or open to all the things that come with local produce so we saw it with food you know I sort of feel like the idea of buying local um, or, or, or sort of providence with food is, is not something that's new, but it's certainly something that's come about recently, relatively mm. recently. And um, I actually was having a conversation with somebody here about the costs of production. So I think the costs of production are quite expensive here because it's small scale. So everything that's at small scale is more expensive and how people won't pay the money, how consumers think that local yarn is too expensive. However, then interestingly, I go to yarn shops and um, people are clamoring all over the yarns from the UK and the US and Europe, you know, all over the Madeleine Tosh, all over the hedgehog fibers, you know, the big brands that you think of, um, all over the indie dye yarns at a much higher price point than the local yarns. And I think it's because that's sort of new and shiny and exciting and from overseas. So I think here they're still, I sense, and obviously a huge sort of generalizations here, but from what I've seen is that the, that sort of hunger for local that I see in the UK and I see it like when you go to Edinburgh Yarn Festival, just sort of this huge interest in local small scale producers I haven't come across that as much here. And speaking to local producers, um, I haven't, I sense from them that there's a sort of a struggle to get their products seen and used in the markets because they're quite expensive. So it's interesting. Um, and I'm definitely keen to get involved and um, start using these local yarns because I want to be sort of part of promoting local produce to the local market because there's such an amazing array of stuff going on here um but there's definitely a big call for the big overseas yarns and rightly so because they're gorgeous like you look at those gorgeous brightly colored skeins and all the big designers are using them so people want to knit with what the big designers use as well um yeah so it's sort of a tricky balance but um there's definitely some interesting people here and definitely some some interesting stuff so if anybody wants if anyone's in Australia and listens to this and wants to chat to me about Aussie yarns, I'm like super keen to sort of open dialogues about how, what we do to support the fiber industry here and how we share information and knowledge. And if anyone's coming to Australia on holiday, I can send them a list of awesome places to go. You can, and you, you do have some great yarn, yarn shop recommendations. I remember you doing the same for me when I got to South Africa. Um <laughs> But it is, it's an interesting conversation. And I guess, like, you know, when you said that they're a little bit behind, I mean, we've had people here in the UK and our, our good friend uh, Louise Scully of Knit British has been really instrumental in that, in pushing that forward as her thing, as trying these local yarns. And it's yeah. almost like a, a confidence thing of, of, like, knowing what you're choosing and what, what you can use it for and, you know, whether it's going to be prickly. She's she's done a lot of work to dispel that myth of all kind of, it's all carpet yarn if it's grown in the UK and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. More so, I think, than 
like the campaign for wool who've been doing it on a very kind of commercial London fashion scale which you know it's fine that's what they do um more often than not and I guess when you think about if you you know when five years ago or whatever um when, when, when we first met really it was, it's probably about that long it must be because because Mark is nearly five um <laughs> so yours must be too and yes. um thinking about that at that time it was it was all do you remember Volmiser? Yeah. everyone was obsessed with Volmiser and getting that and knit nation and everyone's like scrabbling over this german yarn at knit nation um and mad tosh was another one that was kind of coming in and fiber space was still hand dyeing yarn um yeah. and they were a big name and how that's changed from not not that in the uk we've moved away from loving our indie dyed yarns because i don't think we have at all um but even those of us who are very kind of into that hand eye thing are even now experimenting and trying things that are a little bit different um like I was talking to Fluff the other day um and then Rusty Ferret she's going to be bringing a, a Polworth yarn because she wanted something a bit different and she's gone to the fleece and fiber source book and she's found a yarn or a fiber that gives the property she was looking for and loved mm-hmm. it and dyed it and like you said yourself we've got John Arben natural fiber company spinning all these different bespoke yarns, different blends for hand dyers that they're bringing out as their own thing, kind of melding what they already have, which was when, you know, five years ago, it was all merinos, all all merinos, um, hand dyed, but it was all merino pretty much, through the BFLs to now that different sheep breeds. Um, And like you and Jess have done with Neighbourhood Sheep Society, again, you've you've brought those two things, those two interests that people have together. Um, So I think it's really interesting um, to hear about where... Australia is and that you're wanting to get involved in promoting local stuff absolutely I just think it's so it's so important to to look at what we've got and I have no problem with international yarns importing yarns air miles well I sort of have I try to keep my air miles down but as um, I've demonstrated you know my own personal air mile collection is uh, (laughs) quite extensive but look I'm I'm very I'm I, I know that some people are I've spoken to some people who are wholly focused just on local and that's cool. Like no, not saying that's not a good thing. Like I'm very open to all sorts of different yarns, but I am, um, I had a, a conversation with someone who, who's um, up in Queensland and it, it makes me sad to think that local producers are making this local product because most of a lot of, I don't have the statistics of the Australian um clip is merino and it goes to china to be processed and it gets made into all the things that merino is made into including superwash yarn that ends up in dye pots around the world um but i just think that there's got to be a balance and i think as knitters and but also especially as designers or people who are really enthusiastic about fiber we can do a lot as louise did for the british market um in terms of raising awareness and talking about it and and being enthusiastic because there's so much to be enthusiastic about. But I think that the more, the more people who are enthusiastic about things and sharing things, you know, the more exposure things will get, the more opportunities everybody will have. It's that rising tides kind of saying, isn't it? But, um, and from a design perspective, I think it's important for me to use um, different kinds of yarns and local yarns, because I know that, one, it's an access thing for people to be able to get the yarns that you've used. 
Um, and two, I know that a lot of knitters will always try to knit with a recommended yarn. Mm. Um, because yarn substitution, some people don't feel as confident with that or they don't enjoy doing it. So I, I try to think about all of that um, when I make choices as a designer. And, um, and then, look, the bottom line is I like a good, interesting local yarn. Um, I always like an excuse to travel somewhere and have a look at a sheep farm. So um, <laughs> it works for me at the end of the day is the bottom line. Um, and I love meeting passionate people who really love what they do. Um, and I've met in the last month, I've been fortunate enough to meet and talk to three farmers for something that I'm planning next year. And they're amazing. You know, they're really amazing. And they're making beautiful products down here, as are farmers in the UK. Um, and they deserve our support as knitters. They really do. So, yeah. I love that. I can tell you, it really comes across how kind of passionate you are about that. Um kind of symbiosis really in promoting what's local to you and making it accessible um as well as having that fun knitting experience and having that useful garment at the end of it and um, because all of your designs are super wearable it's just it's really nice to hear that come through in your voice and the enthusiasm you have for that and you're exactly right if we are all enthusiastic about it and we're, we're all out there to try and help each other and try new things and promote things it can only be good for all of us absolutely you know, I think part, there's so much positive stuff that goes on in, in the knitting industry and there's so much opportunity. And if we just embrace that and sort of um, make the most of it, then I, I think it's a good it's a good thing. You know, nothing's perfect, but I think as far as knitting goes on a, on a sort of a scale of, um, yeah, there's a lot of good going on. So I'm always um, – happy to sort of share and to learn um, I'm always happy to learn from other people it's um it's one of the joys of being able to experience new things is how much how much there is to learn from folks out there yeah, yeah it's good I should chat to Louise maybe I could do like a knit Australia I think I might be a bit foreign to be knit Australia though somehow that'd be amazing it'd be, so, be so interesting if she doesn't want you i'll have you can come and do knit australia for me seriously because it is knit australia by your local foreigner <laughs> well i mean most of them are foreign anyway <laughs> you know like well yes you know yeah really? I look, you know I, i'm trying um i think it's important to sort of to sort of get stuck in i've moved a lot mm. and um moving and 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 I've tried to teach um made my little one this but about sort of being adaptable and bringing what you have and learning what your new surroundings what what it what it needs from you but what it can offer you and sort of making sure that there's balance there and um so that's in terms of a designer why I think it's really important for me to get to know what's going on here because I think that that's my responsibility as a as a new arrival um yeah, it's all good. Knit Australia. Knit Australia. I wonder. I love that. I love that. Watch this space. <laughs> I'll just add that to my to-do list yes. of things that I'm going to do when I get those extra hours in every day when your child goes to school. Because I, I believe that happens. You know, there's no more 24 hours in a day. They becomes like 28 or something. Anyway. Next year is going to be exciting then. <laughs> yeah. Whole world will change. No, it's, it'll be good. It'll be good. 
So, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. The other thing is, I don't know when this is going to air, mm. but I am going to be in Nottingham in, oh, it's like, it's not for ages, though. It's like three weeks away. <laughs> Whoops. Um, yeah, that, this won't air before then. I'm going to be at Nottingham Yarn Festival, and then I'm going to be at Edinburgh Yarn Festival in March. Mm. So if you see me, come and say hello. Um, I always like to say hello to people. So do come and say hello. As I've demonstrated in this podcast, I have quite a lot to say. I can chat until the cows come home. So, um, yeah, do do come say hello. Unless you want some peace and quiet, and then I'm probably not the best person to come to speak to. So you've nicely segued us into where is the best place to come find you? So you can find me on uh, – I have a website – and I have a blog, and um, my blog is a little neglected, but you can still find me there. So that's knitsharelove.com. And then you can find me on Instagram as knitsharelove. That's my main port of call. If you, um, I'm always on Instagram, probably more than I should be. Um, and that's about it, really. You'll find me in those two places and on Ravelry as Claire Divine. So, um, yeah. Awesome. Well, Claire, thank I'd you. I'd like to say you could find me on Facebook, but you can't because I'm not organised enough to make it work. It's all good. Instagram and Ravelry. We don't. We don't need everywhere. I like. I like the concise. Like, go here or there. That's it. That's the only place you can find me. So, so there. <laughs> That's where I am. Or in Brisbane. If you're in Brisbane and you're looking for someone to go for coffee with, and contact me on Instagram. I don't know if I should say that. Then I'll yeah. Anyway, you totally can. You totally can. You know, you know me. I'm laid back. I, I'm all about connections. You know, if you want to go knitting with my audience in Brisbane, I think you absolutely should. I think you absolutely should. Awesome. Well, Claire, I'm so grateful for you to come back on the show and update us with everything you've been doing and the fascinating stories that you've got from Australia about the yarn scene. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for having me. That's and, okay. Um, it's been grand. Yeah. We catch up again soon. Definitely. So there you go. Lovely, lovely to catch up with Claire again. And so interesting. I really enjoyed the chatter, particularly about the differences in the scene in, in Australia and all those recommendations of cool people we can go and check out. And links for that will be in the show notes. Obviously, there were some time references in there that have elapsed since we recorded that conversation, but there was so much good stuff in it. I figured it was worth just keeping it in and um, still sharing that with you. So full show notes will be um, on the website, shinybees.com forward slash 112. And otherwise, if you want to contact Claire, you can do so via knitsharelove.com or on Instagram. You can hit her up uh, for a coffee in Brisbane. I mean, she called you. She, she says she's there whenever you find yourself that way. So that's all we've got time for this week. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Let me know what you think. Contact me and give me a shout or hop over to our group on Facebook, the Shiny Bees podcast community, uh, where you'll find lots of other Shiny Bees listeners over there talking about the show and uh, sharing links, having a laugh and talking about knitting. So I hope you'll have a wonderful week, my friends. Let's speak to you all again soon. Cheers. You've been listening to the Shiny Bees podcast. Full show notes and links for this episode can be found over on the website at shinybees.com forward slash 112. 
And if you want to get in touch with me, you can do so via email. It is info at shinybees.com. I feel a need to laugh again with you. If that's all right.